Forest City Church. Anyone and everyone. It is so good to be with you all today. I'm super excited to be here on this Sunday, even though it's a little gloomy outside. It's been a great day so far. So some of you might know me from that Read the Bible Learning Haven Leonard mentioned from earlier this year. But since I've not yet had the privilege of meeting most of the people in this room just yet, it might be helpful for you to know a little bit more about me before we dive in together. So for starters, my wife, Alexis, and I are celebrating our seventh wedding anniversary tomorrow. Thank you, thank you. Easiest way in the world to get applause. Thank you for that. Um, we started dating as sophomores in high school. We've been together over 12 years now, which feels like forever. And last July, we were blessed with an adorable little goofball named Levi, who is just now learning to walk, so please pray for us. Uh, but we started attending Forest City Elgin a little over a year ago, right between the end of a season where I had served for several years at, as a youth pastor in a couple different churches and the birth of our son. So while my wife likes to tell people that I am still very much a pastor at heart, I currently work for a t-shirt company. And much like our friend Jackie, who bravely went before me a few weeks back, I don't hold any kind of title or position here. So I have the privilege of speaking to you today as nothing more than a fellow member of this community. My family's relationship with church has been more than a little complicated over the past few years, but in a beautifully ironic twist of providence, I get to walk us through the birth of the church today. So if you've got your Bibles, turn with me to Acts chapter 2, and let's pray. Father, we thank you for your church. It's often equal parts, messy and beautiful. And this particular expression of it at Forest City is no exception. While many of, this, many of us in this room have experienced some level of hurt, even outright harm from church in the past, I pray that each of us would walk away from today with a fresh understanding of what you might want to do in and through us as a community. Amen. So, we're going to pick right up in verse 1 of Acts chapter 2. I'm going to read it for us. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like a blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. And when they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment, because each of them heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews, and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, the list keeps going. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? 
Some, however, made fun of them and said, ah, they've had too much wine. Something incredible has just happened here. But how do we make sense of what it all means? To really understand the story, and for those of you who remember that learning haven, you'll appreciate this, we've got to start with some context. So we love some context. So, for starters, the immediate context here, super easy, of the events we just read about was a Jewish festival called Pentecost. That happens 50 days after the Passover. Now, in a really creative naming of this festival, Pentecost just means 50th. So that's it. Pentecost is the thing that happens 50 days after the other thing. But it's a festival. This was likely the reason that the Jews were from so many different countries were all present for the events that unfolded because they were in town for the celebration, for the festivities. Zooming out a little bit further, the surrounding text clues us into the fact that the people who are mentioned as being all together in one room were most likely the 120 followers mentioned in Acts chapter 1, verse 15. It's not just the 12 apostles in view here. And that fact is pretty significant. It's something we're probably going to come back to a few times, so keep that in mind. It's not just the 12 apostles in view. Let's talk bigger picture about the Holy Spirit and God's presence. Now, up until this point in history, God's Spirit only really engaged with a select few people, often leaders or especially chosen few for very specific reasons. And while God's presence was said to be among his chosen people of Israel at the temple in Jerusalem, the most holy place at the center of the temple where he dwelt was sacred and separate from everything else. Only one man, the high priest, could enter, and even that was only allowed one time a year. And that separation between mankind and their creator goes all the way back to Genesis. Genesis chapter 3, as a result of sin, and yet still, through the whole rest of the witness of Scripture, we see God pursue a people who consistently reject him, aiming to close the distance in whatever way that he can. And as the fulfillment of that mission, he not only became an incarnate human being in Jesus, but now pours out his spirit on all believers, making their very bodies the temples in which his presence dwells. So to echo what Charmon said last weekend, the power is not just for the pastor. The power is not just for the worship leader. And there's something of another echo from Genesis happening here too. Because Genesis chapter 11 tells this kind of weird story of the Tower of Babel. In that story, all of humanity still speaks the same language, but being unified by that fact, they become arrogant. And they attempt to build a tower to heaven. And God responds by humbling them, causing them to begin speaking different languages and no longer be able to understand one another, resulting in their unity being broken and them being scattered all over the world. But in this story, in Acts chapter 2, we see a retelling and reversal of that story. Because now, God is empowering people to speak different languages for the sake of understanding rather than for the sake of confusion. Here, he's bringing a new sort of unity out of a people previously scattered, a unity purposed to build his church rather than some tower. Now, those of you who were part of that Haven a few months back, again, know that I'm a big fan of context and know that there's multiple layers of it that we got to consider, right? So we've covered some of the biblical context. Now we got to take a second to talk about our context 
the context that we bring to what we read from the Bible because it's the lens that we see everything through. So for starters, we live in a highly individualistic culture. One of the many ways anthropologists uh, evaluate different cultures is on this spectrum from individualist to collectivist. Individualist cultures, they tend to focus on the rights and concerns of individuals, whereas collectivist cultures tend to be far more oriented towards family and community and the people around them. Anyone want to guess where the United States ranks in comparison to other countries on that spectrum? We are actually the most individualistic country in the world by a long shot. Like, no one else even comes close. There's one test that, like, gives each country a score for their individualism. The United States is at a 91, and our closest competitor is in the 50s. So we are, like, way over here. American individualism affects us in all kinds of ways. But because it's the water that we swim in, most of us, myself included, don't even recognize its influence most of the time. Individualism plays into our tendency to be self-sufficient which sees us move away from our innate need for other people. I don't know about you, but if there's something I don't know how to do that I want to learn how to do, my first instinct isn't to go and ask someone else. It's to find someone I don't know on YouTube so that I can figure out how to do it myself. The less we need other people, though, the less vulnerable we are. And the less vulnerable we are, the less connected we find ourselves to others and the more isolated we feel. And we often fail to recognize how our personal freedom and self-sufficiency can tend to cut us off from the kind of community that we were made for. When it comes to how we understand scripture, our individualistic culture actually means that we're conditioned to read the Bible through the lens of what it means for me instead of what it means for us. How else might our context affect the way we read and understand what's going on here in Acts? Consumerism. That likely affects us more than we realize, too, because we buy and watch and listen to a lot of stuff, and we're doing it almost all the time. When I'm in the car by myself, I'm almost always listening to a podcast or an audiobook of some kind. When my wife's in the car with me and she's in control of that, we are almost only ever listening to exclusively Taylor Swift music. When we're home together and the baby is asleep, we often find ourselves watching a show or scrolling through TikToks and Reels together. And don't even get me started on the number of deliveries we get now that we've had a baby and going out to get stuff is very difficult. <laughs> thank you, thank you. That's my stand-up routine for the day. Now, don't get me wrong, there's nothing inherently bad about any of that. But everything we do is formative, shaping us in one way or another. And when consumption outweighs practices of creation, contribution and collaboration in our lives, it's going to affect us. But that doesn't mean that consumption is always wrong either. Sometimes it's best for our souls to have a season of rest where we can sit back and receive from others. I found that to be true in my own story, especially over the past year or so. And it has honestly been a real gift to my wife and I simply to be part of this community and to be ministered to by its people. And when it comes to how we engage the church our consumeristic culture means that we are conditioned to approach our churches as services to get something out of rather than as communities in which we're meant to create, to collaborate, to contribute. So with those context pieces in mind, let's take another look at Acts chapter 2 and what it might mean for us as a church community. 
right away, we see a community here that is marked above all by their togetherness. 120 people all together in one place waiting on the fulfillment of Jesus' promise of the Holy Spirit from chapter 1. They weren't chasing after miracles, but out of their togetherness, something miraculous happens. The Holy Spirit bursts forth onto the scene, filling not only the place where the community was gathered, but the very people of that community themselves. And the Spirit doesn't just fill the apostles, the leaders, the chosen few. It fills all of them. This has never happened before. The language here is not each of them. It's not every one of them. It's all of them. The focus is not on the individual, but all of them. Emphasis on the collective with a focus on the community. The Spirit here is not merely empowering individuals. It's empowering a community. Let me say that one again. The Spirit empowers communities, not just individuals. Every single member of the community in that moment becomes a living temple in which the very presence of God himself dwells. And just as God's presence would no longer be contained by the structure of the temple, the house in which these believers were meeting could no longer contain this newly empowered community of faith. They quickly find themselves out in public. A crowd begins to gather in awe of what they're witnessing. And with the crowd split between those who are amazed and perplexed, wondering what on earth or in heaven is going on here, and those who are quick to dismiss what they're witnessing, the evidence of the miracle right in front of their eyes, Peter offers, or Peter steps in to offer an explanation. So let's pick back up in verse 14. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews, and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I have to say. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's nine in the morning. That would be ridiculous. No, this is what was spoken of by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. He goes on to argue that just as Joel in the Old Testament foretold the outpouring of the Spirit, Jesus' resurrection was also foretold in the Old Testament. And speaking of Jesus, he goes on to explain to the crowd in verse 24 that God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. Further on, verses 32 and 33, he continues by adding that God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of it, speaking of himself and the others. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. He's essentially arguing that the miraculous event everyone has just witnessed is the work of the resurrected Jesus himself through the Spirit a fulfillment of prophecy, and a further confirmation that Jesus was who he said he was, the Son of God himself. Therefore, Peter goes on, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus who you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. And when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? 
Peter replied, repent and be baptized. Every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. Over and over again, the point gets driven home here that the power and presence of the Spirit are not only available but promised. Promised to all believers, to sons and daughters, to young and old, men and women alike. They're not limited to the apostles or to any other chosen few. The power and presence of the Holy Spirit are not just available to our pastors and leaders, but to all of us communally and to each of us individually. One of my favorite things about this past year at Forest City has been getting to see the Holy Spirit at work in and through so many of us, empowering us in unique ways, ways unique to each of us, to do the work of ministry together as a community. I've seen him at work in and through Briley, a soon-to-be seventh grader who serves regularly with younger kids and babies. The way that she loves and looks after and cares for my own son leaves me with no doubt that age does not matter when it comes to the work of the Holy Spirit. I've seen him at work in and through my good friend Tim, who took on a second job to become our kids' pastor and has been faithfully serving both kids and volunteers over the past several months. I've seen him at work in and through Asa, who's been an example to me and to so many others of what it means to love freely and worship wholeheartedly, even in the midst of adversity. In and through our fearless coffee captain, Luis, a husband and dad of young kids in a busy season of life who gets here early each week, not just to prep coffee, but to create a space where people feel welcome and comfortable and seen. His welcoming and hospitable presence probably alter the atmosphere of any room he's in. You've probably felt it without realizing it was him, but it was. In and through a seasoned entrepreneurial veteran, MZ, who stepped up to offer his organizational expertise and help provide some much-needed structural support to our church as we got this thing off the ground. In and through Dustin, Ron, Sue, Anne, and so many others who have stepped up to lead tables and facilitate meaningful conversations at our learning havens. In and through Evan, who graciously shared some extra peanut butter and jelly sandwiches with my wife and I one time at a picnic, uh, even though it was a bring-your-own-lunch picnic and we showed up empty-handed. <laughs> When Jesus said, I was hungry and you gave me something to eat, I'm pretty sure he was talking about Evan. And those are just a few of the many, many more examples that could be named. Part of the beauty here is that as each individual does their part, our whole community is built up and strengthened by what they bring. When those with gifts of hospitality step up to use them, we as a community become a more welcoming and hospitable place. Likewise, when those with organizational or service-oriented gifts offer what the Spirit has empowered them to offer, we as a community are further empowered by the structure and support that they provide. And part of why the New Testament refers to the church as the body of Christ is that far greater meaning is found in the sum of our parts than in any individual contribution, no matter how significant that contribution may seem. A heart, for example, is great and all, but with no red blood cells to carry oxygen throughout the body, the heart is kind of useless. No matter how hard it pumps, it's not doing anything. So what else might it look like 
for the Spirit to move powerfully in and through us as a community, and not just as a collection of individuals. I want to take a couple minutes to talk to a few different groups of people that might be in the room today, because we're likely coming from a wide variety of different places in our lives and in our stories. That means there's going to be a variety of different ways we respond as well. So first off, I want to address those of us who, like many from the crowd in our story today, maybe want to follow Jesus but haven't yet been baptized. If you're feeling called to take that next step, I'd encourage you to consider it as we move towards the next opportunity for baptism later this summer. Baptism is a sign of the kind of repentance that Peter talks about here. And as far as we know, there's actually no such thing as an unbaptized follower of Jesus in the whole New Testament. It's something we're going to see come up over and over again in the book of Acts as we journey through it. Second, I want to acknowledge those of us in the room who are in one of those seasons where we maybe need to be able to sit back and receive for a little while. If you're in a spot where you don't feel like you've got it in you to create or contribute or collaborate just yet, that is okay. We're still glad you're here, and I don't want you to feel like you can't fully be part of this community if you don't feel like you have something to offer just yet. I want you to hear me say that the kind of creation, contribution, and collaboration we're talking about are invitations, not expectations. When Alexis and I started attending last year, I was hurting. I had been deeply wounded in community, and I needed some time to heal in community before I was ready to contribute again. And it's taken a long time to process what I experienced in that previous context, and in many ways that work is still ongoing. So if you're in the room today as someone who feels kind of cynical or a little jaded or otherwise hurting, I'd encourage you to not give up on showing up honestly and authentically with whatever you've got to bring. I've sat where you sit now, and I'm still figuring out what it looks like to fully lean back into community myself. Lastly, I want to speak to those of us who might feel ready to engage more deeply in the kind of life together we're talking about here in the book of Acts. Maybe you sense the Spirit even now inviting you to take a step further into the waters of community. To use the acronym we've been talking about, that ACTS for ACTS, perhaps there's someone in particular you feel prompted to ask to join you here. Maybe you're feeling led to be part of a haven, to join up with pickleball on Thursday nights, or maybe even just to linger a little bit longer downstairs on Sundays. There might be some of us ready to take a next step in generosity to support the work our church is doing financially. Or maybe you're like me and you feel like it might be time to step in and find a meaningful way to serve. Whatever that looks like for you, I'd encourage you to take that next step, even if it seems small at first. And the same holds true whether that's here in this community or in any other church family you might call home today. You never know what God might have in store when you allow the Spirit to work in and through you as part of a community. All that being said, I'd be remiss if I didn't take some time to point out what happens next in the story today. Because this wasn't just some one-off event that fizzled out from there. We wouldn't be sitting here today if it had. This story culminates in verse 41, where we're told that those who accepted Peter's message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. From this small group of 120 people that fit in someone's house, to 3,000 in one day. And if that's not an act of God, I don't know what is. 
And with that, the church is born. But what is the church? The word we translate elsewhere as church, ecclesia in Greek, it simply means gathering. The church is not a building, for no building can keep the presence of God contained. The church is not an institution that needs us to fight for its preservation, especially not at the expense of the people it was meant to serve. And the church isn't some members-only social club where we make an appearance a couple times a month in order to stay connected. The church is a gathered community of people empowered by the Holy Spirit, marked by the Father's radically inclusive love and living out the way of Jesus publicly. I want to say that one again. The church is a gathered community of people empowered by the Holy Spirit, marked by the Father's radically inclusive love and living out the way of Jesus publicly. It's not a building we visit or an event that we attend. It's an identity we're meant to embody. We are called to be the church. And part of why I'm so excited to be journeying through this book of Acts together is that Acts isn't just some distant historical account that has no bearing in our lives today. Acts is our story. It's one that we're still living 2,000 years later. But the continuity doesn't end there because the story doesn't begin there either. There's something deeper going on here too, another echo from Genesis, if you will. You see, back in the first book of the Torah where God chose Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob to be the eventual patriarchs of his chosen people, Israel, he promised Abraham that through him and his descendants, all peoples, all nations on earth would be blessed. So I don't think it's any accident that Pentecost was witnessed by Jews from every nation under heaven, just as it was no accident that Jesus' 12 hand-picked apostles reflected the 12 tribes of God's chosen people, Israel. The church isn't just some random thing that popped up out of nowhere after the resurrection. It was God's plan all along to fulfill his promise to Abraham that all nations on earth, all peoples on earth, would be blessed. No longer are the boundaries of God's chosen people set by birth or genealogy. With the birth of the church, God has inaugurated a new phase in his relationship with humanity, initiating a shift that would forever transform the way that his chosen people would be understood. Now, they would be a people not defined by ancestry, but by the very spirit of God at work in their midst. A people who no longer had to be separate from their maker because their creator had become their redeemer. And we are that people. Our church community here at Forest City is just a small part of a much larger church family that spans both generations and the globe. Many saints have gone before us, and God willing, many will come after us too. And while I'm going to leave it to Steve to talk more specifically next week about what it might look like for us to be the church and not just attend it in our damn time, I will say this for now. The longer I've been part of this community the more I've become convinced that God might have even more in store for us all together than we possibly could have imagined on our own. Would you stand with me as we close? So purposefully pursuing the sort of spirit-empowered life together that we see in the book of Acts, it almost certainly won't be easy 
And it just as certainly will be messy at times. But if the rest of Acts is any indication, it will most certainly be worthwhile. Transformation only happens in and through relationship. And the wounds that many of us have sustained through harmful experiences of community, those are only going to be healed and redeemed through healthy experiences of community. But no community can truly be healthy where consumption outweighs creation, contribution, and collaboration. So, my brothers and sisters, both of Forest City and beyond, may we all be strengthened by God in our pursuit of togetherness. As we experience more and more of what life together can truly look like, may we also come to know the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit, not only as individuals, but as a community. And in the midst of it all, may we learn by experience what it truly means to live out the cruciform way of Jesus together. Let's go in peace, and we'll see you next week.